Well, it'd be great if you could have your Bibles open back at Luke chapter 14. Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And we pray this in the name of our rock and our redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you can well imagine just how tense the atmosphere in that dining room that Sabbath afternoon must have been. I suspect you could have cut the air with a carving knife. Jesus had just given this damning critique that none of them asked for. No doubt these men were still stewing over what he had said to them. I bet they were terribly offended, horribly embarrassed. And as you picture these men sitting around that dining table, stewing in their awkward silence, just picture in the corner of your eye one of them leaning over to the table to grab his glass of wine. And then all of a sudden he stands up. This quick-thinking Pharisee is fed up with the silence. And so in this moment, he wants to get the party going again, the conversation flowing. And so his idea is, I'm going to make a toast to Jesus. And this is what he says. Blessed is the one, or blessed is everyone, who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Which, in essence, was another way of saying, won't it be good when we're all in heaven? Now, what the Pharisee does here is perhaps something you've done in your life. You know, you've been in a conversation with a group of friends over a meal, perhaps Someone said something that's very awkward. Everything's got a bit tense. And so you have to think in the spot, how can I get this conversation going? How can I lighten the mood? And so you you see the first thing that comes into your head just to get it going. And it's always a 50-50 because when you see the first thing that comes to your mind, it's sometimes not great. And that's exactly what happened here. And we know that the, the response to this toast that the Jews would have expected Jesus to say was this, O Lord, may we be among the righteous and be counted worthy to sit with men of renown on that great day. So imagine the surprise. Imagine the shock when Jesus responded in essence with, now let me tell you a story. And not with the expected toast. If things were awkward, They've just got a whole lot more awkward. You can probably picture the fury on their faces. Every Pharisee sitting there wondering to themselves, why on earth did this host invite this man? Now, what Jesus is going to share in this story in essence is this. What makes you, all of you men here, so sure? that you will be in the kingdom of heaven. You see, this morning what we noticed was that the Pharisees had a pride problem. They were hypocrites. They wanted to advance and enhance their own social status. Tonight, these Pharisees, we discover, they had this misplaced confidence that their names was on the guest list of heaven. And Jesus says, not so fast. 
Tonight we've got four points. There's an amazing invitation, verses 16 and 17. There's some lame excuses, verses 18 and 19. There's a word of warning, verse 24. And there's some words of encouragement. So the amazing invitation, look at verse 16. This is how Jesus starts his story. A man once gave a a great banquet and invited many guests. Jesus begins this parable by painting this picture of this incredibly wealthy and generous man who resolved to throw a great banquet. The operative word there, great, meaning this was the banquet of a lifetime. This was the event that no one would want to miss. This was a gala dinner of epic proportions. This was the pinnacle of all social experience. This would make a party in the great Gatsby look boring. The second operative word that Jesus says in this opening verse is, and he invited many guests. You see, this generous host, he resolved to throw a great banquet, but not one that would be a small and intimate affair, one that would have many guests. One that would be so well attended, everybody would want the honor to be there. As Jesus begins painting this picture in this parable in verse 16, um, I'm almost sure that the Pharisees who were listening to it understood exactly where he was going with this. The certain man, well, that must represent God, invited many guests to a feast. Well, this great feast banquet, it must represent heaven. And the reason I'm so confident in that is because what kick-started Jesus to share this story was a man saying, blessed is everyone who gets to eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. And the other reason why I'm so convinced that all these Pharisees would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about was because these men knew the Old Testament inside and out. And we've sung today again and again how the Psalms... Speak about heaven as a feast. We began the service singing Psalm 23. The Lord has prepared a table in the presence of our enemies. We sang there in Psalm 36 about a feast where we drink and enjoy the streams of delight that come from God. We sang Psalm 22 this morning. We read from Isaiah 25 that says that on this mountain there will be a banquet with rich food and aged wine. And we know in the New Testament that Revelation says that the end is the marriage supper, the marriage feast of the Lamb. Just as an aside, can I ask you a question? What is the image that comes to your mind when you think of heaven? I think for many Christians, the image that comes to mind is an eternal worship service. And and, and see, in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that because our call to worship this evening was from Revelation chapter 7. And in the new creation, in the kingdom that is to come, we will most certainly gather with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation around the throne and we will sing the worthy praises of the Lamb. But what is fascinating to know is if you know your Bible, time and time and time again, Heaven is painted in the most earthy of pictures. Feast 
party, banquet. That's what heaven is going to be like. I had a preacher say this, and I think he's absolutely spot on. One of Satan's most effective pieces of propaganda is to convince the world and even to convince Christians that heaven is dull. That heaven is boring. That God's the ultimate killjoy and party pooper. But Satan couldn't be more further from the truth. You read the Bible and you discover that in the presence of God there is the fullness of joy and in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You discover that in this party, there will be no regrets, no tears. Death will be swallowed up. Every tear-stained eye wiped. Wine and meat. Celebration. Joy. I don't know if it's ever struck you that the next parable, or the, 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 the third next parable shared by Jesus in Luke chapter 15 is a parable of the lost son. And do you remember what happens when he comes home to the father? The father clothes him. The father shouts to the servant and says, go kill a fattened calf. The father says, go get the bands and we are going to celebrate my son who was dead. My son who was lost has now been found. And the older brother who represents a Pharisee in that parable He hears the music and the dancing. He hears the celebration and he stands on the outside. And in that parable, heaven once again is pictured as a party and hell is pictured as standing on the outside. I need you to see this. In the New Testament, heaven is depicted as the place where you really want to be and you don't want to miss out. Well, verse 16. A man throws a great banquet, invites many guests. Now, I need to point this out. In the ancient Middle Eastern culture, there were two invitations. You see, this was the day before Tesco's and Waitrose, no refrigeration, no freezers. So if you were going to throw a party, you would need to get an idea of the numbers who were coming. And so you would send out with your servants invites where people could RSVP and let you know that they were coming. And then when, you, when your servant came back with all the RSVPs, then you would start making preparations. You would order at the market the amount of fat and casts you'll need. You'd order the amount of chickens, the produce. And then you'd set your servants to work. And as soon as they got everything ready, you'd send your servant back out and he would say to those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now in that culture, if you got an invite from a very wealthy and generous individual, it was very rare that you would ever turn it down. You'd always respond yes to the RSVP. But you know what was almost never, ever happened. No one ever cancelled last minute when the servant came and said, come, for everything's now ready. Now, that would be a grave insult to the host. In an honor and shame culture, you would never do such a thing. 
And yet we come to our second point. Lame excuses. Read verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. You know, I've never noticed this before. I often thought that there were three people who made excuses. No, they all, that is every single person who was invited, they all made their excuses. See, the three lame excuses we're now about to read, they're just representative of the sorts of excuses people gave for not coming to this party. Read on. The first said to him, I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to examine them. Please excuse me. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, the Pharisees listening to this story would have been shaking their heads and screwing up their faces. This is completely preposterous. No one, no one ever, ever would have the audacity to turn down the invite to, to such a banquet. Impossible, unthinkable, never in a million years. And now Jesus, you've given those as the representative of the lame excuses. These are ridiculous. Like, think about it. Who would ever buy a field having never surveyed it first? No one. And even if you had bought the field and you hadn't surveyed it, it could wait to the next day. Secondly, who would buy five yoke of oxen, five beasts of burden, five tractors, and never give them a test drive first? No one. Who would say yes to an invite knowing that they're getting married and then last minute say, listen, I can't come because I'm getting married. In Jewish culture, no one, no man. And anyway, if he was just married, his wife wouldn't want to miss out on this party. These are the most feeble, pathetic excuses. And the men listening to Jesus tell this story telling the story, would have been shaking their heads. I want you to see, though, that Jesus' point is this. The reason people do not enter the kingdom of God is because they put their wealth, their careers, their social life, and their relationships before it. One commentator said it like this. Jesus, of course, is suggesting that men and women turn their backs on the kingdom of God for the sake of very trivial things. Material gain, personal pleasure, sexual adventure. They choose such things rather than accept God's invitation. I think what we have to say is this. What was true of Jesus' day is true of our own. I don't know if there's anyone here tonight and. The reason you're not a Christian, the reason you're not following Jesus is because you've said to yourself, I am going to wait. I need to make money. I need to advance in my career. There's so many things I want to do in life. I want to go on adventures. I want some more personal pleasure. I want to experiment. 
and enjoy things before I'd ever commit to being a Christian. It wouldn't surprise me if you were here tonight and that's your story. It's true of the Pharisees, says Jesus. And it's true of many of us. In fact, some of us who are Christians, we can remember back to before we were in Christ and we can remember these were the very things that kept us from coming to Christ. Now I want you to see the host response. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry. And that's the most appropriate response, isn't it? Just righteous indignation. Like the work, the effort, the expense, his, his, his generosity. The, the social insult, the humiliation. All of these people alike made these sort of excuses. I'm not coming to your party. I've got better things to do. And they're all pathetic. And so when the master of the household heard this, he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and to the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Go. The servant goes out and then the servant comes back and he says to his master, sir, what you've commanded has been done and still there is room. And so the master said to the servant, go out to the highways, hedges, compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. Now, if you're a Pharisee and you're listening to this, you're thinking this is completely preposterous. Like, one, there's no chance that people would ever turn down the invite to this party. And are you for real? This host would say, go out to the streets and let the poor in, the blind in, the lame in. And then he would say, go out beyond the city gates to the foreigners, to the strangers, to the exile and say, you can come in. You cannot be for real, Jesus. What the Pharisees don't understand is this. Do you know the most important, or one of the most important people in his parable? It's the servant. And do you know who the servant is? Jesus. The Old Testament prophets had announced there is a day coming when the Messiah will bring the kingdom of God. And now sitting in their midst, in the flesh, is the Messiah, is the servant of the Lord. And he is saying to the Pharisees, to the Jews, come, the kingdom of God is at hand. Come, everything is now ready. And these Pharisees are rejecting Christ's invitation dismissing him, trying to discredit him. They want him dead. And little do they know that these, that their actions will lead to them being shut out from the kingdom of God. We move from the lame excuses to the word of warning. 
Now, when the passage transitions from verses 23 to 24, the story ends in verse 23. Verse 24 is when Jesus looks up from having told this story and perhaps looks at the Pharisee who's made the toast. See, he says, for I tell you. All through the story, the you has been in the singular. In verse 24, the you is now in the plural. He's speaking to all of them. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And Jesus' word of warning is this. You men, you think your names are on the guest list? Hear it from me, the servant of the Lord. No, they're not. None of you shall taste my banquet. Now, Jesus saying this, he's, he's anticipating what is, what is happening. The kingdom of God, Jesus has come in the flesh. He came to his own people, but they rejected him. They received him not. And so what do we see even in Luke's gospel? Who does Jesus go to? He goes to the tax collectors and the sinners. He goes to the poor and the blind. Read through Luke's gospel, chapter 15. Who's he speaking to? The tax collectors and the sinners. Chapter 18. Who's coming to faith? But the poor and the lame and the blind. In chapter 19, it's the same story. And at the foot of the cross, who comes to faith? But the Roman centurion. Jesus is saying, listen, since the Jews have rejected it, since they've refused it, I'm refusing you to come into this banquet. I need to be really clear here. Anyone who does not make it into heaven does not make it into heaven because they have refused themselves. And so God refuses them. Put up your pathetic excuses, dither, delay. Choose things that you think are more important than Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, you can have what you want, but you will miss out on the feast, on the banquet, not just of a lifetime, but of all eternity. But you know, as I, as I wrap this up, I need to say there's a really encouraging word that Jesus says in this passage. You see, as Jesus shares this story, he says, the man who threw this party, he, he is so keen. He's so keen. He's so eager. He's so urgent about the fact that he wants so many people to come in and experience his banquet. Hence the reason he says, go out quickly. Go into the streets. Go into the lanes, lanes and bring people. And the great thing about the poor, the lame, the needy, the blind, we saw this this morning, they're people who know they, they need there are people who, who know that they're hungry. There are people who would never turn down such an invite. But the, the host goes even further and he says, are there still room? Go out beyond the city gates. Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. This is speculation, but 
this is taking a parable a bit too far, but what do you think the servant of the Lord said to the people who he compelled to come in? Can I tell you what I think? Isaiah chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He has no money, come, buy, eat, come, buy, wine, milk, without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's no stretch. That's a servant song of the Lord. And that's one of the most glorious invitations. Come. If you want an insight into the very nature of our God, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God is saying to those whom he made, come to me. Come, you have got nothing to offer. Come, come to the greatest party of all eternity, the greatest feast, the greatest banquet. Don't put this off. Do not reject this invitation. Come while the Lord may be found. If you are a Christian who has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the other word of encouragement is you're to go out and you're to compel people to come to Jesus. And one of the great privileges of being a Christian is that I know we we think of evangelism as really difficult, but we're inviting people to Jesus, the one who abundantly pardons The one who promises that he's going to take us to the place where there is no more death and where there are no more tears and where there is no sin and suffering. Where we will eat the richest of foods, where we will drink the aged wine, where we will celebrate, where we will sing, where we we will wave our palm branches. No, it's a bit too much for us Presbyterians, that sounds Pentecostal. That's Revelation chapter 7. And we will sing that salvation belongs to the Lord and to the Lamb on the throne. It's the most glorious privilege and honor we have. He invites us to be his ambassadors. To call people to come. I need to ask you here tonight, if you're not a Christian, have you come to the Lord Jesus Christ? There is an urgency to this. Seek him while he may be found. This might be your last chance to respond to his invitation. None of us know what tomorrow holds, what tonight holds. My granddad had a best friend in Glasgow. He was in a prayer meeting with him. And after the prayer meeting, his best friend walked out the prayer meeting, his hip with a car. 
and no one ever thought it. We don't know what tonight holds, what tomorrow holds. But what we do know is that there is this invitation on the table and the one who offers it says, come, everything's ready. He's lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death you ought to have died. And he's been raised from the dead to open up the way for you into the kingdom. Come. Let's just quiet our hearts and respond. Our Father, our God, we thank you that the spirit of the Lord was upon him to anoint him so that he could proclaim good news to the poor, that he could proclaim liberty to the captives, that he could recover the sight of the blind, that he could set at liberty those who were oppressed. We thank you that he came and proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. We thank you that even tonight, we hear the good news proclaimed. We hear the good news of salvation offered. And all we need to do is come. And those of us who have received, oh God, we thank you for the amazing privilege that you've given us to go, to go forth and tell, and to make known this good news so that your house may be full. And so on that last day, there will be great rejoicing and celebration, great feasting and great worshipping of the Lamb who was slain so that we could come. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.